Welcome back. You're listening to episode 11 of Daughters on Fire. In this episode, I will be interviewing Sheila Usselton. Sheila Usselton is a senior advisor and she works at an assisted living community and helps families navigate those transitions and those questions of when is it time to move. In addition to that, Sheila has an amazing story related to her caregiving journey with her mom. It's very inspiring, and I think um, the stories that she'll share both from a professional and a personal level are going to really hit home right now. And since we're in the month of May and we're celebrating Mother's Day for the whole month, just kind of a tribute to our amazing moms, I thought this would be a great time for Sheila to come on and share her insight. So a little bit of a note that this recording is a bit glitchy. And, um, you know, these days, sometimes that happens with technology, but I promise it's not going to take away at all from her amazing story. So uh, you may be feeling like you're, you know, hearing a little bit of the old Max Headroom kind of issues going on. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you go look him up. But for all of those who are alive and well in the 80s, that nostalgic throwback may just cause you to chuckle. So... Stay tuned for our interview with Sheila. Are you stressed, burned out, and looking for answers as you care for an aging parent? If you are, this podcast is for you. Here you will receive actionable advice from seasoned professionals, validation and compassion for the incredibly tough job you are doing, and most importantly, supportive love from a community of like-minded warriors. You're not alone. Join this powerful community as we support you on your complicated journey and help you transform into an empowered and calmer caregiver. Welcome back to Daughters on Fire. This is your host, Melissa Burton, and today I am thrilled to be interviewing Sheila Usselton, um, who is an amazing friend and senior living consultant. Um, Sheila, you have amazing experiences working on the full spectrum of life from children to seniors, um, and you also have been on a journey of caregiving and just being a, a mom, a grandparent. You are the daughter on fire, you know, I think now you're the powerful daughter on fire that really has served and given back. So, um, and, and Sheila works with Brookdale, a senior living community, and I'm going to pass it to Sheila to tell you a little bit more about her, but I want to set this up a little bit. The reason why I wanted Sheila to come on in the month of May is because we, you know, it's Mother's Day, it's the month of mothers, and we're kind of, um, we've been honoring our mothers, and the one big part of Sheila's story is her journey with caregiving with her mom and she is a mom and she's got daughters. So you embody all things women. (laughs) So I thought it was a great season for you to come on and share with us your story and specifically how it relates to caregiving through transitions. Cause that's a hot topic question that a lot of families have is when is it time to move and what does that look like? And your story, your experience, your professional and personal experience um, is spot on with that topic. So without further ado, Sheila, welcome to the show and fill in the gaps. Tell me more about you and what, um, yeah, what your experience and story is like. Well, thank you. I'm very glad to be here, Melissa. And um, you and I have had the privilege of working together and 
past years, and it's always been something I've enjoyed and um, been very comfortable with because of your experience. And so to have this opportunity to share um, on this podcast, Daughters on Fire, is um, really something because, you know, I am a daughter and uh, have two sisters. So there were three daughters and then my my brother uh, in my family. And then I have a daughter and my daughter has three little daughters. Wow. <laughs> five and under, five and five, two and one. And so um, my journey is, has been very surrounded with the sense of how the, the daughter's role in the family and how very often it is the nurturing, caregiving, that that role comes to the daughter. And uh, so, yeah, I, I love that, you know, you're uh, approaching um, this podcast like that for women because I've heard you say um, the thought of how, you know, the daughter's on fire. Are we burning up or are we going to be the slow, that, a candle rooted in a foundation that burns slowly and continues and can carry on? And uh, I think that some of the reason it makes it so difficult for us as daughters is because, you know, just the word daughter to me, just I just immediately think of how much love there is involved in that, uh, being a daughter, having a daughter, and, um, and, you know, so much of what we do is we're trying to make decisions as a, a loving daughter, and we're trying to make things right. And I think that what in, in, this, in the story that I have is that me trying to make things right, I finally had to learn that you can't, we want to, we're on fire to make things right, but you can't fix it to make it right. You can make it better because when there's caregiving involved, when there's health issues involved, and especially if there's dementia involved, there's not much that feels very right about that. Um, and so my mom and I were very close. Uh, she lived in another state and I had, you know, loved being with my mom. She was very funny. She loved storytelling and she loved her family and she had been a, a homemaker and my mom was widowed. And so I began to notice and I at this time was involved with senior senior living. I was I was actually at that time working at an assisted living, but there was not memory care involved. So I didn't really have a lot of personal experience in as far as memory care. And um I, I noticed that when I would talk to my mom on the phone uh, long distance that she would she would sometimes repeat herself. That was one of the first things I noticed. And people always ask me, what was, what was the first thing you noticed? Just as I do when I'm counseling families. One of the first things I say is, when did you change? And in, and in my case, it was my mom um, repeating herself. And so it was easy to just say, oh, she forgot she told me that it's been you know since last week or or she she doesn't remember that she she's I, I thought well maybe you know because all of us lived out of state I thought she doesn't remember she told me that she told us that you, related you know, that story Sheila what I've noticed about that is that there's a difference between saying something over again being like have I said that again it's almost like mm -hmm. you know or you ask or you're like well I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself but in these situations, they say it like they have no clue that they could have possibly ever have mentioned it before. Right. And so it was something I noticed that I didn't point out necessarily because it was easy to make an excuse of why she was doing that. And 
started noticing she would tell me a story after a 30-minute conversation. She'd go right back around and tell me that story again that she had just told me on this mm -hmm. conversation. So then that began to make me just think about this. And like I said, I didn't have a lot of experience with it. If I had, I would have seen already some of those signs. So we began to see things like that and just kind of a, um, you know, a, a confusion sometimes and some things like that. And so we, we uh, convinced my mom to move closer, to move to this area. So we, we, um, we all kind of as a family suggested it would be a good time for my mom to move closer to us. And so my, my sisters and I live in this area. And so we, you know, convinced her it was a good time to sell her home and move and be close to us. Well, and thankfully she did that. It took, took some doing, but we got her close by and much moved and moved into a new place and had to process new information. That's when we really began to see there are some, serious issues here and you know we got her to someone to help her and diagnose her and found out she did indeed have Alzheimer's so that put us on a journey that really somewhat changed my life I mean certainly going through that with her did but it also kind of changed my career path I had been involved in music education and traveled around the country and spoke and to educators and and I was kind of you know working in senior healthcare but not necessarily as my full-time career so once I started that journey with my own mother what I realized it it was like something unfolded for me and my sisters that you know we never anticipated or thought we would be dealing with and um, I had we had lost my dad to cancer um, years ago and it was a very fast thing and then my mom was doing okay and, and so you know it was it was strange that I had lost my dad in such a quick way and then with my mom I was suddenly on that long goodbye that journey of the long goodbye as the Alzheimer's Association calls it and um, you know and what I began to learn in that uh, and and watching myself and watching with my sisters you know just trying to get her the care to keep her to, to have her be safe to have her enjoy life to its fullest um, you know there were just so many things that were involved with that and uh, one of them was the fact that it became evident that because she was she there living alone was not so um, you know as daughters do and, and family members do, you start thinking, okay, do we bring somebody into our home, in her home? Do we look at senior community? Well, because I worked in senior healthcare and my sister did as well, we, we saw so many of the benefits of being involved in a community where there's a lot of socializing and interesting things happening. Uh, we also knew the way my mom was that if we brought somebody into the home right then, she would think she had to take care of that person and entertain them and pour them a glass of tea. And 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 we just didn't feel like that was a good fit. So thankfully, we were able to get mom um, uh, on board with the idea of maybe moving into a senior community. And, um, you know, that took a little doing um, because as a da good daughters don't want to make their moms feel like you're railroading them into anything and you want to give respect to still their life. And so we, we um, moved them into a, uh, an independent living community 
which was a good fit for her at the time because she was still very high functioning, had still been driving up until that point. And um, once that happened, I think there was, it was, a, it, it's, it, um, let me say how to, how I want to say this, that time of mom feeling like her world was shrinking as in she, you know, why did we not, you know, she could, just couldn't understand it. She's like, there's nothing wrong with me. Why can't I drive? <laughs> you know, we were saying, well, mom, you know, you're forgetful and, and you're everything right. And the doctors don't think shit. So we, we kind of had to fall back on that. And, um, that, that right there is a yeah. really hot button issue and one I might have to get you back on <laughs> to when to take um, away the keys. But that's, yeah, that yeah. loss of independence, but without the self-awareness. Yeah, uh, so that was, that, was one of, that was a huge hurdle. So that was almost even worse than just having her move from the home, the apartment we had originally moved her into, to this community. Um, and during that time, I, I would say that as that as we were then with her, seeing her every day, and seeing her try to process the changes in her life and how she felt the changes were a result of what we were doing to her, not what this disease was doing to her. You know, why do y'all think I have to live with all these old people? I mean, that was she kept saying, "Why am I having to live with these old people?" My mother was very young at heart. And some of her best friends were my age. And so she did feel like we had moved her into a place with old people, even though she was 82. She was just a real spunky, young at heart person. Mm -hmm. And so those were, uh, you know, and so it began to feel to her like it was what we had done rather than this is what needs to happen. So that was really hard. And I will say having that my sisters and I had to really lean on each other during that time to bolster ourselves because there were times when mom would be so mad at us. And, you know, we, I think that's one of the most conflicting feelings for a daughter is when this person you have loved your whole life and who's been a person you went to with your problems, maybe. I mean, I know not all mothers and daughters have that, that relationship, but in our case, we really did. I mean, our mom was, she was wise and she had a good, she would listen and make good comments. And then suddenly she her perspective and her um, ability to process things was was not there any longer, and so so we were having to make these decisions, and and she 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 really kind of pushed back, and I would tell you that sometimes looking back at that time versus on down the road when my mother didn't even know who I was, that time was probably even harder because she. I loved pleasing my mom and making her happy and to have her mad at me or suspicious of what we were doing, that we were taking her things. She'd give us things, you know, I'm downsizing. I'm going to give you this. And then later if she walked in, why do you have this? And she forgot. Wow. You know, and that was just, oh gosh, it was hard. Well, it seems like it's also that phase where, it's no longer the independence. It's the, the aging backwards mm-hmm. with this, you know, with cognitive impairment and the different dementias. But they go into phases of the childlike stages, you know, where it's the, mm-hmm. 
angry teenage years where nothing mom says is right and I'm going <laughs> to argue with you and I'm going to I'm going to be suspicious and angry you just want to make my life miserable it's like your mom was going into that phase but she's yeah. not but she's your mom she's not your 13 year old daughter but yeah. she's acting like a stubborn 13 year old daughter or even like you said with the com- confusion actually thinking you're betraying her so I do think I agree with you that those are the hardest times emotionally um, on the journey. Yeah, and because I had not stepped into working in dementia care as I do now, and I know so much more about it, um, you know, I, I just, I know, yeah, I felt like it was just uncharted waters. I mean, my sisters and I went to bookstores and we bought every book we could find on Alzheimer's and you know here you take these five I'll take these four you take these three and we'd read them and then swap out so I mean I, I tried to absorb as much as I could um, of what to expect on down the line because you know it's not going to get better it's just going to get worse mm-hmm. and um, and to prepare for that and and I will say another part of the journey that was really difficult was the fact that so we you know you're trying to make the right decisions and if I had a nickel for every time somebody, a daughter is sitting in my office crying, saying, I just want to do the right thing. And the right thing changes. You can do the right thing. And then six months to a year later, it's no longer the right thing. Then you have to come up with the next right thing. Um, so one of the things that I, I've certainly looked back and remember about that is that, you know, in, tr- in struggling to make the right, right decisions, when it's not always black and white of what's the right thing to do, it's you really have to approach it as um, you make this this you make the decision that you have to make on the knowledge you have that day, because you can't know what's out there in the head. You can you can suspect, you can consider, but you don't really know how this journey is going to unfold so you make the best decision you can at that time with the knowledge and information that you have so and that goes yeah that goes hand in hand with transitions and I've seen I've seen people do this and you can speak more to continuing care communities versus communities that are kind of standalone or staying mm-hmm. at home is that I've even seen families where they they felt like they were making the best decision for the long term, but things changed and they had to remain fluid and they had to make mm-hmm. additional moves along the way, mm-hmm. even though with all the information they had in the moment, they were making that best, most informed, most proactive decision right there on that day. Things still changed. Yeah. Now, communities are getting better and I know you're going to talk to this, about being more like meeting the needs, mm-hmm. the age yes. in place, and being all in, in, inclusive to being adaptive, and that's fantastic, but it's, it, it's not going to be perfect for everybody, and so people have to be really open-minded to don't judge what you decided to do six months ago. Like, don't, don't live in the past. Just yeah. live in the moment and, and be fluid and adaptive in the moment. And you're going to be living and learning and driving from a place of love. And that's the best care your loved one can get. It really is. Because in that case, and one thing I'd like to just mention is that like other daughters, I didn't want my mother, my sisters and I didn't want my mother to think that we were making every decision for her. So we, out of that wanting to respect who she was, we were trying to give her some 
say so in the decision making. We thought that was the right thing to do. So we said, okay, we found these two communities and we really thought that one community was the best choice because it had more care and options. And yet we thought we can't do that. We have to let her make that choice. We, we, we can't just tell her everything she has to do. So at thinking we were being good daughters to do that, my mom picked the other community that we didn't think was the best fit. It was a more independent community. And we're like, we knew, okay, that's not going to last very long. And when I said, mom, why did you pick that community? And this was a clue that we probably had not done the best, <laughs> not approached it well when she said, well, I picked this community because the driveway goes up. And at the other community, the driveway goes down. Wow. And later I said to my sister, okay, can we remember this, please? And when we are trying to make big decisions to help her, mm -hmm. we know what she needs. And she's no longer able to make those choices. Because yeah, that, that statement right there sounds very childlike, you know. Well, I'd like to have the driveway goes. Because that's the most important. The important. driveway went down. At a point. Right. And so that was our, I could, it, was, it was such a profound moment for me. Because at that is the moment that I realized my mom is no longer able to make good judgment calls. It's, it's not there any longer. And so from then on, we didn't ask her where she wanted to live because as, as, as the disease progressed, she needed more care. And so, you know, she started having health issues and had to go in the hospital. And that's when I, I called my sisters. I said, hey, guess what? This is no longer working. This place she has picked, it's lovely. They're good people, but they don't have the services and the care mom needs. And we need to make a decision. And we need to find another place where she's got the care she needs. And I said, we need to move her things while she's in the hospital. Now, by then, I had been helping a lot of families. So I kind of had, I had the experience to know that, hey, we need to do this. And my sister said, oh, should we go to the hospital and I'll sit down by her bed and try to explain what we're doing? And I said, no. I said, you know what? We're going to find the best place we can have for her. We're going to move her things, and I'll pick her up at the hospital, and I'll take her there, and you guys be there. And, of course, my sisters love that idea. Oh, great. You pick her up, and you tell her. And I said, I will. And so, you know what? It was, it was a moment that we found this lovely place. We moved her things, got everything set up, and I picked her up at the hospital and said, you know, Mom, you've been really sick the last few weeks, and the doctor thinks that you need a little more support right now. So he wants you to be at a place where you can get that support. I can't wait to show it to you. And she said, really? And I said, yeah, it's beautiful. So here we are. We pull up. We walk in. My sisters are there, nervous, wringing their hands. And my mom looks around at everything we've done. And she says, do I have to live here till I die? Hmm. Now, that I'll never forget that moment because in my mind, I knew it was an assisted living. It didn't even have memory care that she probably wouldn't be able to even be there till she died. But I mm -hmm. said, oh, mom, and I hugged her and I said, no, but you need to stay here till you get better. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, okay. And she yeah. loved it. And it was a much better fit. So I share that stories a lot with that story a lot with families because they sit in my office sometimes and say, you know, 
this is what my mom needs it's not going well at home and when she decides she wants to do this we're gonna do this we're mm -hmm. gonna get a community or we're gonna get her help when she decides she needs it and I sit there and I have to find a very gentle way to let them know she may never decide she needs help she may resist it or he may resist it or your loved one whoever it is may constantly resist that because they don't see that need it's up to you yeah. to make it happen and that is a hard hard place where what their their reality and what your the reality that is really happening how you have to blend it to get them the care they need and and that's what i feel like i specialize in with families is saying okay you, you're going to be able to do this and i'm going to help you do this and i'm going to give you words to say that won't set the situation you know escalate it that you're not gonna you, you you choose your words wisely me saying mom we're gonna the doctor wants you to have some more support right now that's that was what she needed to hear she didn't need to hear me say we moved all your things out while you're in the hospital and you're going to an assisted living and she, no it, it's it's the way we phrased it that made it understandable for her I love that and what you said in that moment of do I need to stay here till I die you flipped it to focusing on hope because mm -hmm. that's what we all need we all want to feel hopeful but at this stage of life there is a only a trajectory that we're going through decline and that we're all someday gonna die we don't need to focus on that we need to focus on you're here right now until you get better yeah. And people might be like, well, they're not going to get better. This disease only gets worse. Don't, don't take that hope away from them because they can exactly. live a much happier quality of life if they have hope that they will get better. It means that they can live each day feeling, yeah. feeling you know, better, feeling that everything is possible. And that's how we all want to live. We all want to live with the idea that there's a better tomorrow. And exactly. there is, there are ups and downs in this disease. And even though it may take our abilities away, that doesn't mean we can't have joy. We can't have laughter. We can't have, you know, love and smiles. And mm -hmm. that is what, you know, is what we need to be able to offer them. It's not a lie. And then also, if, if people are like, well, I'm going to wait until mom is ready. Nobody wants change. You yeah. know, nobody likes change. For somebody, for even normal adults like you or I that are completely logical and have all of our capacity, mental capacities with us, we don't like change. And no. so the pain of the same has to be worse than the pain of change, you know, yeah. in order for people to change. So that doesn't just like magically happen. It usually comes in the form of a crisis. Maybe your mom might decide it's time to move in the middle of a crisis. But if everything's going well and she's in the steady decline, it's not yeah. going to be an easy yeah. decision. And it needs to be yeah. one that's that that's more delicately handled by the family with what their knowledge and, and their logic intact and maybe with a an amazing professional to help walk them through and help them know what to say and bridge that gap. And that's exactly what you're saying is that you gave them the tools. Yeah. yeah. And I, I will say, especially for anyone who's going through that, that very, very difficult place now to have to, to find someone you can reach out to talk with about it. Because just like now I've, it's been, 
you know, I have been helping families in transition for almost two decades. And so I have a lot of tools and words in, in my, my bag of helping that a person's never thought of to say. And, and so when you go to, you know, you get help and somebody's going to help you in that transition to help your loved one. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to put it, phrase it in a way, as you said, that we, we don't take away hope. Um, and, and with dementia care, it's so hard because, you know, it is a steady decline um, sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's a fast decline. A stroke can cause something kind of overnight. But one of the things I also felt like I liked time treasure every day and focus on what she could do and what not what she couldn't do because it is it is such a continuum of loss that you never know that what she did with you that day that that might be the last time you've done you get to do that with her because or or your loved one because the next time you approach that they're no longer able to function in in whether it's going out to eat or whether it's coming to your house to bake a cake or something. So every experience you have, treasure that day. And um, because it, it is such a it is such an ongoing loss. Uh, for my mom, the fact that we had to move her around was really unsettling for my family and for her. Um, and I kept saying to my sisters, there needs to be a place where a continuum of care is offered. But we didn't have it at that time. It, had, it hadn't been happening. You, you either were in assisted living and then you went to full-on memory care, which was a huge jump. And, and that's so, usually the skilled level, uh, yeah. skilled level, which is nursing home level, not yeah. in assisted, not, not yeah. a lot. And, and so that's why around that time, someone from Brookdale Senior Living, a former coworker, had called me and said, hey, Brookdale is doing some cutting-edge um, uh, type of care in dementia care and you're not going to believe this but they're going to have this wonderful place where it's a it's a transitional time uh, you know in those early stages where the person still doesn't need so much help and so um, that's why I actually went to came to Brookdale because of their experience in dementia care because by this time I was getting more and more experienced and I wanted to be able to help families to do that and that's what I love about what I'm working with now especially is that I am working in a community that specializes in um, dementia care and is that we have that next level so rather than you move your mom go find somewhere else that you trust and think is good we're able to say we're noticing these things and we think she could or your loved one could could have another level of care that's going to be supportive that person more in that and it is the best thing in the world to be able to be offer a family that and and I know it from experience of having that with my own mother so um, is that you know you don't want to hear you don't want to get a phone call and say you've got to move your mom Good luck. <laughs> I hope you find a good place. No. So that that was a part of my journey that I felt like I learned something from. And then I've been able to help families not have to experience that. And so, and you know, one of the things I love about the program with Brookdale and not a lot of assisted livings have it um, is this, this early stage of dementia care. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people out there like your mom, who was a widow, who don't have that wraparound care in the home that they need, mm -hmm. but they are not able to, like they can't drive, maybe they wander, they get out, and mm -hmm. so they're not safe 
even in um, regular assisted living, you know, they're not safe to, to function at that level or they're mm-hmm. not safe to function at home alone and they don't have a spouse or they're not living with family um, or can't afford the round-the-clock caregivers or don't want it. Like you said, your mom would be distracted and um, mm-hmm. too in tune with the caregivers in the home. But they, they don't need to necessarily go straight into your typical memory care units. And I think that's what you were referring to a while mm-hmm. ago, not the, uh, the nursing home level. But even a lot of memory cares that don't have this higher functioning bridge, um, and you all call it the crossings, because there are a lot of people aging in place there that are a lot sicker, a lot further along. So the crossings program just takes the higher, more independent mm-hmm people and puts them in a group together and they are socially more engaging with one another they go out they do more and I've always felt it it was more comfortable for my clients who were one they were really young so mm-hmm. they had early onset or yeah. um or they were you know in young in that they were widowed or widowers and they did not have that family support, but they were not quite a fit to go into a, a larger memory care population yeah. and see the really advanced stages. They, they, they were still, they didn't like your mom, mm-hmm. they didn't have the self-awareness to know they had the disease. So therefore if it was right around them, they would have declined very rapidly. Yeah, they would have been like what? So there is a huge need for more programs like the crossing to be um, kind of pull out that higher functioning memory care. Mm-hmm. Still give them all the services that they need. That's higher level of care than just a regular assisted living. It really is, and Brookdale because Brookdale's been you know has has been functioning and helping families with memory care for forty years. Um, they have been on the cutting edge of so many uh, wonderful programs to see that now other companies are beginning to realize some of this that, you know, we kind of need to, you know, one size doesn't fit all in memory care. And so um, that that's a good thing. I think the whole care profession has, has, has made great strides in the past 10 years on what is on the, on the different types of care. Our so that's been very rewarding for me uh and and to go into that kind of a field knowing that i had walked through it myself has been it's been you know i i in the in a way i look at it as it was my mom's gift to me uh in the midst of a a difficult journey she opened my eyes to ways to help other people and so i've always felt good about sharing her story because the the conversation was she would have said you tell our story because it'll help someone else because she had a very giving spirit about her. And so I have, I always, when I've in my office have kept a picture of my mom there so that when I'm saying this to folks, they, they see her on a cruise to Alaska and how full of life she was. And I guess I feel like sharing her story is just a part of sharing who she was to continue to continue to help others and help other families and um, and especially during, like you said, the month of May, when we have a lot of focus on mothers, and um, the fact that all of this kind of ties in with that, um, and how even in a very tragic diagnosis for my mother, she her affected my life, and and uh, the course of 
what I do and helping others. So it, it's almost like a way that I keep a part of her with me all the time. And I've loved that. Um, my mom, eventually, as I'm on you know, the disease course, she was almost, honestly, almost like the, the textbook case of the stages of Alzheimer's. And, you know, I hope that she wouldn't get to the final stages, but she did. So she, she did eventually get to where she didn't know us or my sisters or she didn't speak anymore. I used to take my guitar and sing with her and sing all her favorite songs. And, and there was a while that she could even sing, but she could didn't really speak. She didn't have much conversation. And one day I took, took my guitar and I sang for about an hour and she never sang with me. And mm. I remember and I thought, oh, this is it. I'm never going to hear her voice again. And I said, Mom, I'm going to have to go, and I'll, I'll sing one more song. And I started singing, You Are My Sunshine. And she just opened up and started singing. And I was so happy to hear her voice. So I said, Oh, Mom. I started laughing. I said, You just... You're gonna sing with me just to get an hour to warm up. And so anyway, I got to hear her sing again. So eventually my mom got to the point that we knew she was she was ready to transition and and leave this body that was no longer functioning for her. But what was interesting for me personally was it was um uh, my daughter was expecting her first baby. And so, in, was it your first grandbaby? No, not my first grandbaby, but it was my, my daughter's first baby. So I only have one daughter. I have sons, but, and so this is my daughter. And so she wanted me in the delivery room with her. And so I was so excited about that. And uh, I, I was there when she had little Emmy, baby Emmy, and I got to see her very first breath mm. when she entered this world. And what I didn't realize was about to happen was less than, you know, just a barely a month later, I was going to be sitting by my mom and holding her hand and singing with her as she drew her last breath. So hmm. it was such a profound time for me as a daughter and a mother and then a grandmother to see this, this new daughter come into the world and I see her take her first breath. And then so quickly after that, I saw my mother and my, my sister and I sat, were sitting there with her as she drew her last breath. And it was, it was a moment I will cherish forever. Mm. Um, but it was, it was really hard. It was yeah. really hard to experience all of that in such a short time. Yeah. But I'm grateful. And it was, it was mom's last gift to me, I felt like, was to see how graciously and how peacefully she passed into another place. And, you know, it was really interesting. And it's, it's been a, it's been a long journey. But it's been something I've been I felt like I've had the privilege of holding her experience and sharing it with others. So that hopefully their experience will be um, will will be better as they walk through such a difficult place. Well, I really appreciate that one your story and sharing that because it is it's um to see the you know life and death happening simultaneously a life comes into this world a life goes out of that world um just those those two ends of the spectrum you know coming together and and how profoundly we touch each other's lives um and that we are 
we're we're here it's fleeting right life is fleeting and it's Absolutely. fragile and it's amazing um but i've i've always enjoyed sharing with you collaborating with you sheila um making the difference in the lives of the people that are on this very very difficult journey and you've obviously become that strong amazing candle through your own journey and you are honoring your mom and she's living on through you so I can't think of a better way to celebrate this month of May and mothers than to share your story with you know the daughters on fire community because I know a lot of people um, have this experience with their their moms you know having to they're, they're in the middle of it or it's on the horizon um, but saying goodbye to to your mom and then being being a mom and being a grandma and just I'm one of many many girls in my family as well <laughs> you know there's just some families out there that are really heavy in the having a bunch of boys and then some are all about the girls I come from a pool of a ton of girls I don't have children but I only have nieces and I have only <laughs> sisters and so I love um, that feminine energy and uh, I love hearing your stories so and what a strong bond it is it really is and you know I've led a support group for seven years uh, I actually called it sister support for so long because I, I wanted the support I had from my own family my sisters I wanted to be able to share that with other women to support in the journey so that's been very rewarding as well and um, you know around that time when it, things were getting so difficult with mom I wrote a song for her called Remember Me Too and my sister Pam did, uh, videoed me singing it at an Alzheimer's fundraiser and if anybody ever wants to see it it's on YouTube but they can reach it by going to my website SheilaEsselton.com and uh, it's there if they'd ever like to see it. It's just a terrible idea. Absolutely. And I will share a link to your to your website um, on the, the show notes for this episode. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I really appreciate your you and your sister support group. And what's funny, too, is because we love our moms, we love our sisters, but it's complicated, right? Mother, <laughs> daughter, sister, female relationships are yeah. complicated. And so they're, yes. they're, they're ugly and beautiful at the same time. So, you know, that that's what makes them, I, I think so strong is that uh, we get through the, the complicated part of it. That's right. And the work you do is so important because you're, you're helping get through the complicated parts of it so thank you thank you to you and to Robin and all your team on this podcast it's it's been good to hear it and I'm glad to be a part of the Facebook community too awesome well we're so glad that you have come on today and um, like I've said to many of my my guests so far is that um, we'll get you back because I know <laughs> that people are going to really relate to what you have to say and and the your expertise, um, not just personal expertise, but professional expertise, is a just a wealth of information. So um, thank you so much for coming on today. I look forward to uh, connecting with you uh, both on the podcast and in the group and in person. So when we can all get back together again, right? That's right. That's right. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be with you. You're welcome. Thank you, Sheila. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and ask that you subscribe to this podcast. If you find this podcast helpful, please leave a review so we can reach more women like you. 
You are not alone on your journey, and the Fire Tribe is here to support you. Check us out at DaughtersOnFire.com and our Facebook group for more support and resources. Until next time, remember, you are the fire that fuels the engine of life. Thank you.